a un primero de mayo. <risa> Hello and welcome to the The Sandy Podcast. I'm your host, Sandoz May Jr. Follow me on the Elon app at The Sandy, that's T-H-E-E-S-A-M-D. Podcast is also up there at The Sandy Podcast, all one word. If you don't look it down with the Elon app, trust me, I get it. I did a tweet about the Dallas Cowboys net worth and that got flagged for graphic and sensitive content. Could be the end of times on the Elon app. But if you don't look it down with the Elon app, you can follow me at the Sandy Podcast on the Zuckerberg app and the China app. Subscribe and rate to the the Sandy Podcast. Five stars, nothing less. Tell a friend. Podcast is available on all major podcasts and platforms. For all content, audio, and visual, hit up thesandy.com. Subscribe to the YouTube page. Getting the content back going. I got some short form stuff coming as well. So tap in we're doing some tech stuff as well so if you want to get into some technology stuff be be sure to lock in on that as well so the subscribe link for the youtube page is in the description musical production done by may first music support him at soundcloud.com slash may first music oh we're going to start today's pot off with some reading if y'all don't mind let me jump right into the screen for those on the video side you see what the definition that i'm going to be reading is but for those on the audio side i'm going to go ahead and read to y'all let's fade down to bed thank you very much uh let's see let's get this done here so i'm going to read to you the definition of fanatic the fanatic definition is as follows a person filled with excessive and single-minded zeal especially for a extreme religious or political cause, i.e. religious fanatics. Other terms synonymous with fanatic are as follows. Zealot, extremist, militant, dogmatist, devotee, sectarian, bigot, chauvinist, partisan, radical, diehard, ultra, activist, apologist, adherent, visionary, maniac, crank, freak, Wackadoo, wackadoodle. And you wonder, I say, fandom is a mental illness. And why am I starting with fandom is a mental illness? Not because I have merch, not because I've been saying it literally for years, but because last night, as the Bills were taking an L at the crib to the Kansas City Chiefs, we got the latest example of fandom is a mental illness. Let's go ahead and jump to the next window. Yes, you have your mans right here at the Buffalo game. And he took a L and was feeling the pain last night. For those on the video side, you see what I'm referencing. There was a Buffalo Bills fan that was seemingly crying vehemently, crying frantically as the Bills took that L to the Chiefs last night. For those on the audio side, I'm sure you've seen it. Um, it's a thing. Like it's going around, it's making arounds. This this clip right here, it's got 2.8 million views just on one tweet. So this dude is now going to become famous or infamous, depending how you look at it, for being the visual representation of what fandom is. So anytime I say fandom is a mental illness, and again, fandom is short for fanatic. And as I just ran through, when you're looking at words like bigot, diehard, Radical, partisan, chauvinist, extremist, militant, devotee, devotee, if you want to put the accent. That's what you're representing when you're a fan of anything. 
by the way. Because fandom can spill over, as you see here, into religious or political causes. So fandom is a mental illness. Hard stop. It's not just about sports. Fandom is a mental illness. All fandom is a mental illness. But why was this man crying like this? A lot of people are speculating it was because of a bet. I'm saying, no, I know a fan when I see one. And this dude right here is a fan. When you look at he's decked out in all Bills gear. This is not someone that placed a big bet. I'm putting the mortgage on this game or whatever. This is no, 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 no. I thought this was the gear. I bought the Madden cover with Josh Allen on it. I got all the merch. He was probably one of them dudes that was out there shoveling. He was probably one of them dudes that was out there shoveling for $20 an hour, clearing out the seats for everyone to be able to pull up and cause a raucous atmosphere in that Bills game. And what is he left with? $20 an hour for shoveling, a bad back probably because of it. I'm decked out in all this Bills gear. And oh, by the way, Josh Allen, not even Cam Newton. That's the realization of this man right here. He realizing that Josh Allen, the man that he was told was the savior, isn't even Cam Newton, because at least Cam Newton got to a Super Bowl, okay? Cam got an MVP and a Super Bowl. Josh Allen has yet to do either. So, I mean, obviously, we're going to talk heavy NFL playoffs. We got a lot of other stuff to get, to get into. There is a baseball player that is trying to channel his inner Kawhi. We're going to get to that. We got your man's Coach Prime. Going to the likes of the WWE to get that Louis luggage? That's a real thing. We'll get there. NBA won allegedly big trade. I keep being told it's a big trade, but to me, it's a very mid-trade, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there. But we have to start with the check down league. And the one thing Josh Allen did not do in the biggest moment of the game he didn't listen to me. I've been telling y'all this is the National Checkdown League. Because everyone is checking down flanker screens, flash screens, all types of screens. And Josh Allen in the biggest moment of the game, third down, last drive of the game, had Stephon Diggs wide open on a guess what? Check down, but didn't want to do it. Because he was trying to play hero ball. He was trying to play YOLO ball. And now he's at the crib. If you just listen to your boy, you might be going to Baltimore next week. If you would just listen to your boy, you might not be playing the crib, wondering if the Madden Jinx is really a thing. You might actually be on your way, 95 South down to be more, to play another game. If you would just listen to your boy and just, yo, dog, check it down because that's all this league is. That's all this league is. Josh Allen tried to thumb his nose at the system and say, no, I'm going YOLO ball. And the QBs that tried to do that this weekend all took L's. Josh Allen, YOLO ball, took that L. Jordan Love, YOLO ball, throwing across his body on a jump pass, took that L, going home. Your man's Baker throwing YOLO balls, what happened? He's going home. And your man CJ Stroud, who we give the most grace to because he's a youngin. Was throwing out there, throwing yellow balls. What happened? He's going home.
This is the checkdown lead for a reason. But let's get right into it. Bills Chiefs would go in reverse order of way that, that the games happened over the weekend. So Bills Chiefs, this was the 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 heavyweight matchup. This was the one that everyone was waiting for, et cetera, et cetera. We're calling it a rivalry, even though there's no real rhyme or reason to this being an actual rivalry. Patrick Mahomes is now three and zero against Josh Allen. Now Josh Allen has the advantage in the regular season, but in terms of postseason, when it's win or go home. Mahomes is now 3-0 against your mans. Josh Allen, who's not even Cam Newton. So how did this happen? Well, this happened because Josh Allen is just not that dude. 39 passes for Josh Allen. 26 of 39, not even 200 yards. Only one touchdown, 86.1 QB rating. Okay? They ran the ball. James Cook got 18 carries. That's what you would expect in today's NFL, 18 carries. And even Ty Johnson gave him a little boost with 40 yards on seven carries. And then Josh Allen was doing Josh Allen things, trying to be like white Lamar, but instead he's not even white Cam Newton with 12 carries with a couple of tutties, okay? So if you do the stat line, his stat line is very similar to what Lamar was able to do against the Houston Texans. But here's the rub. To this day, Josh Allen has had better skill position players around him than Lamar Jackson. To this day, even this year, I still feel believe that the Buffalo Bills have better skill position players than the Baltimore Ravens. Yet and still, it is Lamar Jackson going to the AFC Championship game as the number one overall seed. And Josh Allen is playing the crib yet again, not getting to a championship game. Make it make sense. There were those that were trying to push and hand Josh Allen MVPs year after year after year. Even though we all know the reason why he got better was because he got Stefan Diggs placed in his lap. Pause. But what has he been doing with Stefan Diggs? Because obviously there's been rumors about Stefan Diggs wanting out. His brother has even kind of floated some of that innuendo out there. What have we discovered over the last, just say, month, two months of Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen, they've had numerous public blow-ups that have been caught on cam. What has been happening with Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs? Well, as you see here yesterday, he had three catches on 21 yards. His longest was 15 yards. So, again, that's two catches for six yards. Again, check downs. But he had eight targets. So eight targets now, those who have been listening to this pod or consuming Timeline T on YouTube, again, link in the description to subscribe, y'all know my credo. You're not considered a number one wide receiver if you can't get double-digit targets continuously, okay? Eight targets is okay. I mean, the fact that Khalil Shakur got nine targets, that's a conversation for another day. But the firing of Ken Dorsey... He was the one that was blamed for the offensive woes of this system, right? Of the system in Buffalo, right? So let's go ahead and navigate when that was. When did the Bills fire Ken Dorsey? You see here on YouTube, I'm able to pull that up in the search. November 14th, Bills fire offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey. Okay, well, let's now coordinate that with Stephon Diggs' game log. How has he been used since Ken Dorsey got fired? Well, let's go ahead and go to the 
game log for Stefan Diggs. And let's go down to, okay, so November 13th, the game before Ken Dorsey, or the day before Ken Dorsey got fired, Stefan Diggs had five targets, three catches for 34 yards and a defeat to the Denver Broncos. That was when all hell broke loose and they had to fire Ken Dorsey. After that, Here's the number of targets for Stefan Diggs since the firing of Ken Dorsey. Eight targets, 11, 11, 5, 8, 7, 8, 9 in the playoff uh, victory against the Steelers, and then eight last night against the Chiefs, okay? So now, with all that being said, those look to be respectable numbers. You're at least getting five targets a game. Here's the problem. Prior to that, when the Bills were putting up big numbers and winning a lot of games, these were the targets for Stephon Diggs. 13, 7, 12, 7, 11, 16, 12, 12, 7, and then 5 when Ken Dorsey got fired. So you see, prior to that, Stephon Diggs was getting the targets, 16 targets. That's a true number one wide receiver. 12 targets, 11 targets. But since then, he's only cracked double-digit targets twice. That's not the recipe for success. So while everyone was saying, oh, the offense looks so much better with Ken, Dor with, with Ken Dorsey gone, they've emphasized the run game, and now that's great again. The fact of the matter is, is that they haven't really done that many different things on offense. What they have done is just told Josh, just win us games, bro. Instead of trying to fit in this system and feeding your number one wide receiver and running a real offense, go out there and play hero ball. And that's what Josh Allen has done. And that shit looks cute in the regular season. It could even look cute against the Pittsburgh Steelers with no T.J. Watt. But when you're facing a team, a real team with a really good defense in the Kansas City Chiefs, now the Kansas, the Kansas City Chiefs, most people would not put them up there as an upper echelon defense, but by all the metrics, they are. I think that they're number two scoring defense in the entire league. Okay, so the Chiefs defense is one of those. They don't have too many household names. Jerry Sneed is now becoming a household name, but we know about Chris Jones already, but you can't name too many more dudes that are like really one of them that you know year after year after year. But the Chiefs, with Spags as the D.C., blitzing heavy, getting after it, those dudes are getting it done. When you're facing a real defense, especially a defense that saw you not that long ago, when, when, when was that game? That game was how many weeks ago? Didn't they play in the regular season against KC? Yeah, that was, uh, what was that? December 10th. So December 10th. So a little bit over a month ago, they saw you. Five weeks ago, they had you on film. So you know Spags went and chopped that tape down and you know got into his bag and dialed up something nice for him. And yeah, it gave Josh Allen problems. There was a drop pick. He fumbled the ball and they knocked it out of bounds. Like Josh Allen keeps doing Josh Allen things. So now he's gone under multiple coordinators now. And each coordinator has had to face the same conclusion. At some point, Josh Allen is going to throw a pick. At some point, Josh Allen is going to fumble the rock. 
You just hope when those two things happen, it doesn't cost you. And the fact of the matter is, is that those two things did not cost the Bills yesterday, and they still took an L because Josh Allen did not want to check down the rock to Stephon Diggs. And Stephon Diggs has had piss-poor numbers ever since Ken Dorsey left. Piss-poor numbers. Now, Stephon Diggs did not talk to the media after the loss last night. Do you blame him? Game is on the line. It's third down. I'm the number one wide receiver. I'm wide open on a crosser. Okay, and I'll come off the screen here. And I've been talking about this, you know, on, on the Elon app, especially crossers are the new sluggos. Sluggos were the route, the route in the route tree that was in vogue. Everyone was getting it off with sluggos. You had to hit the sluggos. The sluggos was killing defenses, killing secondaries. Now it's the crossers, which are essentially rub routes, but deeper crossers now. And Stefan Diggs was open on a crosser. And Josh Allen still chucked it deep. And then on fourth down, again, rolled out, got flushed out the pocket. Again, Kansas City defense rolled out the pocket, chucked the ball. I don't know where the hell that ball was going. And it was way over everybody's head. So Josh Allen, who's not even Cam Newton. Can we be clear? Everyone has been trying to crown Josh Allen and give him MVPs, give him Madden covers, change the rules of overtime for him to get more chances. And what have you gotten for it? And that's why you're getting man's face right here. I'll bring up the screen again. This is why you have this face. This is the face of realizing he's not him. This is the face of an entire franchise, of an entire organization, of an entire fan base that has finally come to the realization, one, you're never beating Patrick Mahomes because at the most important position in the sport, you're at a disadvantage. Because we could sit here and argue, is he even top five in the AFC? Is Josh Allen even a top five QB in his own conference? We know he's not better than Patrick Mahomes. I've been saying he's not better than Lamar Jackson. I know he's not better than Joe Burrow. Now, when you're talking about other QBs, is he even better than Justin Herbert? There's going to be some people that try to bring in Tua Tungavailoa. If Nasty Man is healthy, is he better than Josh Allen? Is C.J. Stroud already better than Josh Allen? These are real conversations that need to be had. If Aaron is healthy next year, is he better? Even as he's entering 40 years old, is he better than Josh Allen? These are the conversations. And this is why when you're this guy 
and you're wearing a hat, a scarf, it appears to be a jacket and probably a, a uh, that looks to be a thermal, a thermal fleece underneath that also matches all in Bears and Bill's gear. That's probably over $100 worth of merch. And those tickets were not cheap. But he, he's, he's, he's in the bottom bowl. Those tickets are not cheap, even with the snow, even shoveling for $20 an hour for a franchise worth billions. That's why he looks like that. That's why he's stunned. That's why he's shocked. That's why he's in dismay. And always remember, he brought that on himself because he's a fan. He is a zealot. He is an extremist. He is a radical. He is partisan. He is a diehard. He's an apologist. He's a maniac. He's a freak. And that's why fandom is a mental illness. But getting back into this game, this game was really interesting. I've already rewatched it. Y'all, I'm recording this early Monday morning. Uh, so by the time y'all get up and y'all 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 make y'all moves, y'all should have the pod already in y'all phones. So uh, doing it that early just for y'all. But this game was so interesting because it kind of shows the difference where Mahomes keeps getting weak supporting cast, and he keeps taking his teams to AFC Championship games. And I say all of that to remind you that the owner of the Kansas City Chiefs this past summer came out and said, even at the contract that says he signed for $500 million, Patrick Mahomes is still underpaid. The owner of the Chiefs said that. And year after year, he keeps showing you why that is the truest shit ever said. And after watching Lamar Jackson's performance against the Houston Texans, albeit, right? For the money that he got. And for those on YouTube, y'all know how I was giving it up all spring and all summer saying Lamar shall hold out and get your bread and get fully guaranteed money because you are worth that to that franchise. You are only worth what the team that is signing you values you as. You're only worth what they're willing to pay you, right? I feel the Ravens could have, and in my hearts of hearts, should have signed Lamar Jackson to a nasty man type contract. But Lamar got his money. It got a lot of funny money in there, but it's got a lot of guaranteed money in there as well. And then Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow signed better contracts weeks right after him. And that's the problem with the current NFL structure, right? The contract structure. But after seeing what Lamar has done in most likely another MVP year, shouldn't he have held out for fully guaranteed money like Nasty Man? Look at what these QBs are doing. They've been handed entire franchises and saying it's all on you. Now, when it was literally only just Lamar, he was able to get an MVP off and go 13 and three. Now they just gave him 
just a little blip of help in Zay Flowers and Isaiah Likely now that Mark Andrews has been out. He's finally started to show up and show at all of us what I kept hearing he was supposed to be about. So finally, he's got a little something in Isaiah Likely. He's gotten a little something in Zay Flowers. Just the threat of having people on the field with him is just enough for him to go out there and cook for another MVP. And there were people telling me he should just take whatever the Ravens offer him. There were people that were telling me he had no leverage. There were people telling me he still hasn't shown enough. He still hasn't proven he deserves a max contract. What? Now they get an MVP performance for now someone that's going to be soon the fourth or fifth highest paid QB, depending on what happens this offseason. And that's why the NFLPA is a joke, but let me slide off of that. Patrick Mahomes is still doing it with less. Travis Kelsey, five for 75 and two tutties on six targets, by the way. So he wasn't even targeted a lot. Only 23 passes for the Kansas City Chiefs. Pacheco run the rock. He does this thing. Pacheco has been like the perfect compliment in the running game where he doesn't need 30 carries. He doesn't even need 25 carries, but the carries that he gets, he makes them useful. He has a lot of energy, a lot of spirit. He runs downhill. He can shake you if he has to, but he's in a, and I saw this on, on the Elon. I forgot who, who it was to, to credit them, but he, someone was saying that he has a lot of Marion Barber in him and I initially pushed back, but the more I watched the game and watched him get the tough yards, I'm like, oh, I see why someone would say that. Now, I don't, I still not 100% co sign him, but I see that that aggressiveness in like fighting for tough yards and looking for the contact. Some, some of these running backs, they, they, they just want to shake and bake. He's looking for the contact and he's not the biggest dude in the world and he's still out here looking for the contact. Now, that means you're going to have a short lifespan when you're looking for the contact and you're not built like Derrick Henry. But still, for right now, he's getting it off. He's getting it off in a major way. And I think this offense, even though it still lacks the weapons, it lacks the number one wide receiver with, you know, Rasheed Rice looks to be someone that at some point can be that number one guy, right? Rasheed Rice looks to be someone that at some point is going to be the number one guy. Now, now whether he's a true number one, like a Justin Jefferson, like a Jamar Chase remains to be seen, but he's going to be that team's number one. Now, Travis Kelsey, if he even plays again next year, I don't know what this team looks like without Travis Kelsey if Rasheed Rice is not ready to be that number one. Because the backup tight ends are nice, but they're nowhere near what Travis Kelsey is. But again, with Mahomes, do you even need another Travis Kelsey type? Like, could he make... Those back, can he make Noah Gray be a bootleg Travis Kelsey just because he's Mahomes? Like, that's what it's come to. When we talk about all these teams, we need weapons. We got to rebuild. We got to start from scratch. It really doesn't matter as long as you have a Mahomes. You have a Mahomes. You have an underrated defense with, with a DC that's willing to blitz you all damn day long. You can win games. You can go into Buffalo and win games. And they could potentially go into Baltimore and win that game. And it will be yet another Super Bowl where Mahomes has next little to no help, yet he could win another Lombardi. 
They could have traded Tyreek Hill and win more. They could win more Lombardis without Tyreek Hill than with him. Not a lot of us had that. A lot of us were saying, you know, Mahomes is still him. They got a chance, but we weren't saying, oh, no, they're going to win multiple Super Bowls without Tyreek Hill. And so soon without Tyreek Hill, like within the first two years without Tyreek Hill, we're going to win a Super Bowl. And now it's we're going to win potentially multiple Super Bowls in the first couple of years without Tyreek Hill. I don't think Andy Reid would tell you in, 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 if, he, if he gave us a true serum. I don't think Andy Reid would say that. I don't think Kelsey would say that. I don't think the guys on that defense would say that. Mahomes might be so crazy, he might have said that, but we all know his pops. Patrick Mahomes' pop definitely would have said that. Definitely would have said that. He's smoking on that Joe Burrow. He's smoking on that Joe Burrow. But the Chiefs are going into Baltimore, and I think there's a lot there. That game is the game that we should have because this is the two best quarterbacks, arguably in the league, but certainly in that conference. Now, who's going to stand up and say that that's not the case? Who's going to be the hot taker to jump out here and say, you know, Lamar Jackson is not the second best QB in the league now? Mahomes is number one. There's no, even if Lamar beats, if, Lamar, if the Ravens beat the Chiefs, and Lamar plays all world. And, you know, uh, Mahomes is Mahomes, right? None of that will really matter when it comes to the QB rankings. The QB rankings are still Mahomes, then a drop-off, and they got Lamar, and then a drop-off, and then everybody else. That's where it is right now. Those are the QB rankings. That, that's where we stand right now in 2024. But even if the Ravens beat the Chiefs, it won't change that, right? It won't change the rankings. But it should solidify that Lamar is number two. It should solidify that Lamar Jackson is the second best quarterback in the entire NFL. And in some people's eyes, he will be number one. I won't be one of these, one of those people. I'll, I'll tell you that for real, for real. I will not be one of those people. All right, let me see. Let's Let's get deeper into what's going on here. So... The Bills take that L to the Chiefs. It was a great game. It lived up to the hype. Uh, field goal missed by Buffalo. I'm not going to go crazy killing kickers because it's just a kicker. Uh, but in regards to the game before that, Detroit-Tampa. The Lions are no longer lioning. And it's interesting to see. Never in my life have I seen a Detroit Lions team this good. Never in my life. I'll say that again. Never in my life. And I've been here some years. I've, 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 been, I've been here for, for a few decades. Never in my life have I seen a Lions team this good. I will also say this. Never have I seen the NFC this low. Now, the NFC has had some ebbs and flows. Remember, there was a run back in the day for, for, for my older folks. Yeah, I remember when the NFC just kept winning, kept winning the, the Super Bowl. It was San Francisco. It was Dallas. It was always an NFC team winning. It was Washington. It was always a, it was the Giants. It was always an NFC team winning the, the, the Super Bowl. That is not the case anymore. The NFC is so down that even the Detroit Lions, the best Detroit Lions team of my lifetime, can potentially come out 
and represent the NFC. Now, this is not to shade the Lions, although it's going to be perceived as such. The Lions are a great story, good organization, but, bro, they are out here winning games with Jared Goff. Now, I know people have said, oh, he's played well and da-da-da-da, and Jared Goff is literally... Jared Goff is literally the definition of a system QB. When he was in the McVay system with the Rams, he looked good and he took that team to a Super Bowl, but then he hit that ceiling, right? He hit that ceiling where he couldn't get any higher. If he couldn't have McVay in his ear with 15 seconds left on the clock to kind of tell him where to throw the ball, he was lost, okay? Then he got embarrassed in that Super Bowl. They ship him up out of there once they realize I can't. McVay was like, I can't get to where I need to get to with Jared Goff. He's, he can't make the throws. Like, I can't be in his headset while the play's going on, right? I can't literally tell him where to throw the ball. I can't read the field for him. Now he goes to, to Detroit. And while people are going crazy about, oh, he's played so well, this is you know, I think undermining the fact that he's got Ben Johnson, who is a type of McVay. Like, Ben Johnson's one of those. He's an OC that is held in high regard and knows how to scheme people open, a la a McVay, a la a Shanahan, a la a Mike McDaniels. Ben Johnson's one of those. So this is now another system where Jared Goff can flourish because he's got an OC that can mask his weaknesses and surround him with Amon Ross St. Brown. Surround him with Gibbs. Surround him with Montgomery. Surround him with Jamison Williams and Laporta. Like, look at the weapons that are around Jared Goff. And that's what the Lions have been building. And that's why, you know, again, for those that have been here on YouTube for a minute, y'all know how it get down when it comes to how you build a team. If you're going to build a team and you don't have a Mahomes... The only other way to do it is to have a quarterback that is mid and surround him with literally high levels of everything else. Surround him with a good offensive line. Surround him with good receivers. Surround him with a good tight end. Surround him with good running backs. And then you need an OC. So it's like you have to hit on all of those things just to mask the fact that you don't have an elite top-tier QB. And that's where we're at in Detroit. That's how you have to build today in today's NFL. You either have a, a Mahomes, where you don't really need a true number one wide receiver, and you don't need a true number one running back, and you don't need the greatest offensive line in the world. And you can still go to multiple AFC championship games and still win potentially multiple Super Bowls without a true number one wide receiver. Or you got to do it this way, where we have to have a top-tier offensive line, really good wide receivers, and the Monroe State Brown and Jamison Williams eventually will be the guy that we thought of him to be. They went out there and drafted Laporta after having Hawkinson and flipping him last year. So they keep a good tight end. And then they went out there in the first round pick, took Gibbs, and they went out there and took Montgomery from the Bears, and they have multiple running backs that can get it done in various ways. And then you need a genius play caller like Ben Johnson. So you got to do and have all of that 
to mask the fact that I don't have a Mahomes. I don't have a Lamar. I don't have a Joe Burrow. That's what you have to do. 49ers are doing it the same way. These two teams, the Lions and the 49ers, are coming into this game with the same blueprint. I'm going to overwhelm you with weapons and a great offensive line, and I'm a genius play caller. All I need you to do is just listen to me. Take what the system schemes open for you. Don't do no YOLO ball. Don't do no nonsense. Follow the system. And if it's nothing, Jared Goff can follow that, okay? And that's why he's played well. That's why he's looked good, because he can follow the system. Amon Ra's open? Okay, just throw it to Amon Ra. There's no progressing through the reads. There's no, I need to scramble and improvise it. Oh, no. They're showing cover zero? Okay, bet. All right. Jamison, vertical. Do a non-wrap. Like, it's really simple. Laporta is my check down. Or Gibbs is my check down. It's very easy. Same thing for Brock Purdy. Although Brock Purdy, you saw it, you saw it in, in the game against the Packers. He's starting to fill himself. He had a couple of YOLO balls himself that should have been picked. Especially that first one early in the game against the Packers. Okay, that should have been the pick six. Purdy's starting to feel himself like he could work outside the system and that could cost the 49ers in the big spot. Maybe not against the Lions, but definitely that could cost them against the Chiefs or the Ravens. Okay? But the same thing with Purdy. I have the greatest running back in the league. The number one running back in the league in Christian McCaffrey. Not only is he my, my, my running back, but he's also my check down. I have George Kittle. That is a top-tier tight end. I have Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, and I got the silverback, Trent Williams, on the offensive line. And I got Shannon Hand calling the plays. It is a very, it should be a very smooth experience for any QB to walk in there. Jimmy Garoppolo, who didn't even have all these weapons, but had the majority of these weapons, got this team to a Super Bowl not that long ago. So it can be done. If you don't hit on the QB, you just have to overwhelm and hit on everything else. Now, which is easier is the real question. Which is easier to get off? Is it easier to find that true bona fide elite top tier number one QB? Or is it easier to go out there and have really good wide receivers, really good running backs, really good offensive line, and a really genius level play caller on offense. Y'all let me know in the comments on YouTube, or if you're on the podcast fan, hit me up on Twitter. DMs are open. So like, let me know because that's been a lot of the conversations I've been having on here, on this podcast and definitely on YouTube of what's the best way to go about building a team offensively. If you have the QB, okay, he just needs minimal help. Even though that to me is a flawed logic, but that's just what it is because, oh, it's a hard salary cap. Bullshit. But that's been the narrative. You hit on the QB, just give him a little bit of help, and then if that QB is so good, he'll be able to take care of the rest. He'll be able to mask all your other weaknesses. Or go lower tier QB and just have damn near pro bowlers and all pros everywhere else and have a one-of-one genius play caller. 
To me, the answer is obvious, but y'all let me know. Uh, but yes, yeah, so the Lions go ahead and take care of business against the Buccaneers. Look, I think that the narrative that is going to be following Todd Bowles, Todd Bowles had so much momentum in terms of no one's throwing shade anymore. The Jet years have now just been wiped away as, well, that was the Jets. Clearly now he's took a team, a team that should not be there into the playoffs, right? And now it's looking like because of one decision that he made late in that game against Detroit, now you're starting to see some of the narratives come back of why is Todd Bowles even the coach? Like he has so much momentum, so much momentum heading his way in terms of, hey, maybe Todd Bowles is a good coach. Like maybe, maybe we, we, we were gaslighting the whole thing. No, no. Todd Bowles is an average coach. And there's nothing wrong with that because that NFC South is an average division. So it doesn't take that much to win that division as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have proven by beating the Panthers 9-0 to clinch a spot, okay? Baker Mayfield should not be a QB that leads a team into the second round. Like, Baker Mayfield is not that. But again, look at the help he had around him. He's got a Hall of Fame wide receiver in Mike Evans, and Chris Godwin is just really, really good. He's got a solid offensive line. You know, he's got some running backs in Rashard White and even Chase Edmonds, but I mean more so Rashard White. But, like, he's got some weapons there. Not top-tier weapons, and that's why they're the Buccaneers. And that's why, you know, even despite all that, they can still own the NFC South. But Todd Bowles made a mistake last night. And it reminds you of what Todd Bowles is. So legacies can change very quickly, right? Like week by week, game by game, you know, choice by choice, call by call. Legacies can change like very, very quickly. And Todd Bowles' legacy is not that he was a former player, is not that he was the, the first, uh, no, second black coach in Jets uh, history, not that he flamed out with the Jets, even though I felt he got a raw deal because his record wasn't that horrible when you look at the rosters that, that he was given and expected to win with. But he's just been apathetic. People are, are not very uh, up or down on Tobles. Everyone just kind of like, eh, like he's mid. And he's shown that he's mid, but after this year, there's been some momentum creeping up that maybe Todd Bowles is not mid because the Buccaneers were not supposed to be where they were this past weekend. They were not supposed to be playing in a second round game, even against the Lions. Like they were not supposed to be there, right? They were supposed to take that L to the Eagles if the Eagles had a actual coach, right? But the fact of the matter is, is that Baker Mayfield did get that team to the second round. Todd Bowles did get that team to the second round a team that's been kind of retooling on the fly after the whole Tom Brady thing came and went, they've been trying to retool and rebuild on the fly. And because of their success and because their division is absolutely the middest of mid, they've been able to sneak off in the playoffs a couple of years now. And they've been able to win the division this year in clinching a game by winning nine, nothing against the lowly Carolina Panthers. So Todd Bowles' reputation has kind of shifted to where it's like, oh, he's the steadying voice. He's the calming voice. He's the stoic presence that kind of, you know, settles the team. 
Well, after last night, all the bad, nasty, lazy narratives about Todd Bowles has returned. And that's just the way that it is in the NFL. So as, as I was leading into, like, so the Buccaneers had a chance if they would have taken their last timeout. So let me, let, me, let me go ahead into the screen here. So, all right, so you see this here. It's, it's third down. It's 31-23. So, you know, they're down eight. Okay, 31-23. We can do the math. That's eight. 39 seconds. So now they're going to take a kneel down, right? And the Bucs still have a timeout there. They still have a timeout. Now they take the last kneel down, or what end up being the last kneel down, with 36 seconds. Okay? Now you take the timeout there. It's fourth down. It's fourth down. Now they could have took the timeout, forced the Lions to either kick the field goal, or they would have punted the rock. Now, if they would have took the field goal, it would have been a 47-yarder. Now, 47-yarder is not an automatic field goal, but it is in a dome. So I could see where your logic is, eh, even if they kick that field goal, they, even if they don't kick the field goal, even, even if they do a pooch punt or they try to roof the John and try to get the, the most amount of hang time possible to eat off some seconds, like you would have had to go on the length of the field in a matter of maybe 10 seconds, 10 to 15 seconds. Like we've only seen Mahomes get that off, right? You got Baker Mayfield. Most likely that's not gonna happen, right? So I think ultimately Bowles decided to wave the white flag and not even use that timeout, but he's come under some fire about it. And he was asked about it in the post game. Let me see if I can pull it up here. Uh, da, da, da. Yep. He was asked about it, and let me get the volume right. We go on the right settings. I just want to clarify so people can see and hear. Yep, we're on the right settings. All right, cool. So this is Todd Bowles. He was asked about it, why he didn't call his last timeout with 36 seconds left while Detroit was uh, on fourth down, and they kneeled. So they already had a field goal lined up. The, the, the audio is a little low, so I'll, I'll, I'll translate for y'all. So he said they already had a field goal lined up. They already had a field goal lined up, and it would have been about 12 seconds left on the clock. And it would have been 12 seconds left on the clock after they would have kicked said field goal. And he said, we weren't going to come back from that. So he's assuming they would have kicked the field goal, and he's assuming that the field goal would have been made and that the score would have been, uh, what, 48? It would have been 34 to 23. You would have been down 11. There's no way to score 11 points in, you know, 12 seconds. So that's his rationale. Now, I feel him on that. But because this is football, and because, as I started off the pod, because there are fans involved and fanatics involved, he's going to get roasted, Okay. He's just going to get roasted because no Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan is going to understand that logic. Logic does not seep into the brains of fans. Because again, remember, we're talking about zealots, extremists, diehards, apologists, maniacs, freaks. This is what fans are. Okay. It's a literal definition. Okay. So, that's not going to fly in Tampa. 
saying, I'm, I'm assuming they're going to kick the field goal. I'm assuming they're going to make the field goal. And I'm assuming we're, we're going to be down 11 points with 12 seconds left. And my quarterback is Baker Mayfield. What would you like me to do with that? Now, I would have loved if he would have said it in that manner. If he would have said it in that manner, I think even fans would have understood. But because he tried to get it off in a very di diplomatic way, you know, in the fact of saying, We weren't going to come back from that is saying I have Baker Mayfield. Okay. Let's, let, let's, let's be happy. We got here. Let's be happy. We won a mid division. Let's be happy. We beat a Eagles team that quit at the crib. Let's, let's just be happy. We got to the second round. Let's be happy that Tom Brady deserted us and we're still able to make the playoffs. Okay. So Todd Bowles' reputation was ascending. He was starting to get some, some clout back. Now, because of one decision that honestly wouldn't have made or broke this game. Like, it would have been fun to try to see all the laterals and whatever, whatever. But no, in actuality, Todd Bowles was a thousand percent right. But he's going to get roasted for this. No doubt about it. He is going to get flambayed by the fanatics, by the 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 freaks, the maniacs, the extremists, the zealots, the devotees out there in Tampa, without a doubt. All right, moving on. The Lions are going to face the who? They're going to face the San Francisco 49ers because they got away with one at the crib. They got away with one at the crib. They probably shouldn't have beaten the Green Bay Packers, but it is what it is. I didn't see anything from Brock Purdy that made me confident that, yep, this guy is going to be the one to decide a Super Bowl. Again, it's about the sum of the parts. It's about the sum of the parts. Christian McCaffrey is that dude. Got two tutties, almost 100 yards rushing, and another 30 uh, through the air. I mean, George Kittle was a factor. Uh, Debo was in, in and out of the lineup. Ayuk was clutch on some third downs. Again, Christian McCaffrey, 12 targets in a passing game that's your number one wide receiver so not only is he your number one running back but he's your number one wide receiver i mean not really but again since this is the check down league the national check down league christian mccaffrey is leading the san francisco 49ers the san francisco 49ers with 12 targets okay this is y'all league this is the league that y'all love and abhor so much um Packers definitely let this one get away. I felt they should have run the ball a, a lot more. I felt Aaron Jones was cooking. Um, I was very surprised that I know Jordan Love is supposed to be him, but I felt like that stage was ripe for an upset, and I think you needed to control the clock a little bit more by running more. But maybe that's the old head in me, but I felt like they were a little bit too pass-happy at times, especially in that second half. I think in the second half, they, they were looked a little out of sync and they couldn't really get going, in my opinion, but based off what I saw. And I've already rewatched re the game. And I'm like, yeah, that second half, they kind of let, let things slip away. Uh, but again, talent bears out. You have a genius play caller. And we might have to start putting LaFleur in that category, too, because the way that he was scheming open the, these receivers. Am I to assume that Dobbs and Reed are this nice? 
I know Reed was held in high regard coming out in Dobbs to a lesser extent, but Christian Watson was supposed to be the guy. He's supposed to be the deep third. He's supposed to be the, the physical freak. But now with Watson, Dobbs, and Reed, they're kind of building a thing where your QB doesn't have to be elite because they're building weapons. And these are the weapons that Aaron could have had, but he wanted to slip and hit that ayahuasca in a four-day darkness retreat and decided he wanted to be a jet of all things. Um, but when you're looking at the weapons that are here with Aaron Jones, um, we didn't even talk about C.J. Dillon because he was hurt. But in terms of Dobbs and Reed and Musgrave as, as the tight end, there's some things here. There's some things here with Green Bay. Like, did this between them and the Lions, unfortunately, the Vikings are going to be taking a step back, and the Bears are the Bears. Uh, but this whole NFC North, it's going to be the Lions and the Packers for a minute here. I think the Packers will win outright long-term because they have the QB. I'm sold. I'm not sold that he's elite. I'm sold that he's the best that they got. Um, and they have enough weapons to kind of mask whatever frailties he has. But he can't be out here throwing a YOLO ball. He's out here throwing a YOLO ball, and that is never going to work. That's never going to work. There's a reason why, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Aaron have only won one Super Bowl. Because at times they throw that YOLO ball. And you live by the YOLO ball, and it looks great when it works. But when it doesn't, it is catastrophic. And I think Jordan Love's got a little bit of that in him, and he showed that in a big spot on the road. Um, and then we'll go to what was the first game, which is Baltimore-Houston. And look, this was the Lamar show. Two touchdowns throwing, two touchdowns running. And again, the numbers are not going to jump out at you like the 2019 MVP season, and they're not supposed to because he doesn't have to. And I think that's the misnomer. People say, well, his numbers aren't even, even though I told y'all a couple of pods ago, how similar his numbers were across the board, except for rushing, the, the rushing yards and the total passing touchdowns. Outside of that, all the numbers were damn near identical. And he surpassed all of that because he played one more game after that episode. But the numbers that people are expecting from Lamar in terms of, well, he's supposed to be this dynamic, et cetera, et cetera. No, 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 no. Four touchdowns. Yes, only 152 passing yards. Because again, the weapons that he has aren't top tier weapons. But the, the improvement is that he actually has weapons. Zay Flowers, to me, is not going to be a number one wide receiver. Like the number one wide receiver on his team is Mark Andrews when he's healthy. But, like, Isaiah likely has stepped in adequately. Zay Flowers has been enough of a factor that he's on the field and you have to pay attention to him. And Odell can still make people miss, although only one target. So you would like to think he'll be more involved against the Chiefs next week. We'll see. But, like, just the presence of weapons is all Lamar ever needed. 2019 was an admiration because he just was able to just do all of that with literally no one else on the field outside of Mark Andrews. Now you're giving him Mark Andrews when healthy, likely now has shown me enough to where you can do the thing that Todd Munkin kept saying is going to do with the two tight end sets with Andrews and likely both being able to do work. And then you got Zay Flowers and OBJ out here. And then you still got Bateman, who's a good possession wide receiver. I was told he could be a vertical uh, threat deep, 
over the summer. That's not true. Okay, that's that for, for what I've seen. That's not true. He could be a good possession guy, and there's nothing wrong with that. Again, because this is the checkdown league. In the checkdown league, you need possession receivers. So there's enough weapons here to where Lamar doesn't have to put up 300 plus yards throwing, 150 on the ground, and et cetera. Look, a buck 50, two touchdowns through the air, another buck on the ground, and two more touchdowns on the ground. And then, oh, by the way, they put up another 120-plus with all the other running backs. So they're running the fuck out of the ball. They're running the fuck out of the ball. And the Chiefs are going to come in here. Chris Jones is going to play his ass off. He's going to have to be a one-man gang on that line because they're still going to be able to run the ball. They're going to run the ball in the Kansas City Chiefs. I would be stunned if they can't run the ball on the Chiefs. Chris Jones be damned. I would be stunned if they can't run the ball on the Chiefs. And that sets up everything. And it's not just Lamar running. They got 123 yards from the three other running backs. And then Lamar's 100 on top of it with two tutties. Like, come on, man. Come on, man. This Ravens defense, there's been a lot of conversation about how good are they in comparison to prior Ravens defenses in the past or just overall defenses in history. With me, I'm trying to navigate, I, as I've been saying, since the summer, since the spring, the strength of this team on defense is the linebacking core. But what helps that is that the defensive linemen who are unheralded make the, make the work easier for the linebackers. It's great to have a Roquan Smith and a Patrick Queen. It's great. It's phenomenal if you can go and have those guys. And you can thank the Chicago Bears for gift wrapping Roquan Smith to the Baltimore Ravens. But it's even better when you have defensive linemen, interior linemen especially, that can force and keep the offensive linemen on that initial block and keep the running lanes open for a Roquan Smith, for a Patrick Queen to go ahead and make plays sideline to sideline and in the backfield. That's what makes these linebackers great. There's a lot of narratives about you got to have top-tier linebackers to win. And sure, but you can't have top-tier linebackers without defensive linemen creating lanes for those linebackers to make plays. Roquan could tell you that because that was the case in Chicago. He made all those plays in Chicago despite not having great interior line play. Now you give him interior line play in Baltimore and he's all world. He went from borderline all pro to all world with just the presence of good interior line play. So there's levels to this. And I think the Ravens defense can definitely give fists to Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey has looked a step slow and probably has been a step slow for about two years now. I can't wait to see what Patrick Queen and Raquan Smith do to Travis Kelsey. I cannot wait. It is going to be so much to get into in regards to that because that matchup, I think, is going to make or break the game because I can't see Rasheed Rice going off against this Ravens secondary. I can't see it. I can't see it. Kyle Hamilton was back in the mix. He got banged up the other week. He looked good. Like I, I can't see Rasheed Smith getting off. So Mahomes has his work ahead of him. 
And he said in the post game last night, they have no weaknesses. And he ain't lying. Mahomes is not lying. He wasn't saying that just to give like fake props or fake love to the other team. He's saying that because he'd been watching film. He know the vibes. He know the vibes. So the Lamar show and the Patrick Mahomes show, that is Kent Miss TV. How is that the first game next week, by the way? How is that the first game? They're going to give us Lions 49ers in the prime time spot next week, next Sunday, right? They do the games on Sunday championship Sunday. Why is that the second game? This is the big matchup. Ravens, Chiefs, that's the one we care about. How is Ravens, Chiefs, the first game? Unless they really think, well, I know the West Coast, San Francisco, California, all of that stuff. But to me, the better, the best matchup is the first game. That's the one we want to see. And let's go ahead and play this out. Let's assume the 49ers can win this game. What's the better matchup for them in, in a Super Bowl? Who is the easier matchup for them? Is it the Chiefs or is it the Ravens? We saw what the Ravens did to them a few weeks ago. And Baltimore was banged up. Are the Chiefs a better matchup for the 49ers? Y'all let me know in the comments. I'll be doing some live streams and stuff leading up to it. So y'all be able to tap in on YouTube and y'all definitely be getting more pods on this. But I want to do an extensive deep dive into the NFL. Whew. So much, so much to get into. That was great. So it was a great championship weekend. We got four good games for various reasons. I think seeing Lamar at his apex, even though the game was a blowout, but just seeing Lamar at his apex, confirming MVP status. The biggest bugaboo has been, you can't do it. He hasn't done it in the playoffs. Okay, well, he did it. Four tutties. Four tutties. Now, oh, well, you got to win a Super Bowl. Like, damn, dog. Y'all just told me he can't do it in the playoffs. He literally did it in the playoffs at a home game when there was pressure, okay? That first half was, was rough. Give the Texans all the credit. The Ravens were blitzing, although the narrative, oh, yeah, I had that sound. Let me find that sound. I got your man's, um, where is he? Where's Polian? Your man's Polian is still out here talking about Lamar. Your man's Polian is still out here claiming he knows how to stop Lamar. Okay, let me pull that up. Yep, we still got that. Yep, we good. All right, this is uh, Bill Polian on Sirius XM uh, trying to describe the Texans on how they should defend Lamar Jackson. To do it, you have to be very disciplined in your rush. Damn, he sounds old. You have to tell the rushers that they're not there to sack him. They're <laughs> there to keep him in the pocket. Yes, you're there to keep him in the pocket as if that's something that no other team has tried to do. The old adage, this is old analysis. That used to be the book of Lamar. Has he watched any games this season? And make him throw the ball. And Make him throw the ball. He threw for almost 4,000 yards this year. Again, has Bill Paulian watched any games this year? Not escape and not extend and not do any of the things that opens up all of these receivers. Running the ball is not what opens up the, the, the receivers for Lamar. It's not. It's not. Like, what, what is he watching? Um, 
He has a real OC, and the OC actually knows how to get people open. It's not that the, the receivers don't only get open when, when Lamar runs. And, and that's hard to do. That's, it's, it's hard for coaches to teach that. It requires a technique change. It's hard for players nasty. to get their heads around it. It's nasty but analysis. But it's absolutely necessary. And uh, if you're playing with a spy, uh, you better... We're talking playing with a spy in 2024. We're talking playing with a spy on Lamar in 2024. Put your best athlete on him as a spy. Put your best athlete on him as a spy. So, something about that coming from an older person that is not melanated just sounds, it hits a little, little weird to me. If you're playing with a spy, uh, you better put your best athlete on him as a spy because he's a better athlete than anybody you got. So if he's a better athlete than anybody you got, what does it matter what athlete you put on him? Make it make sense. Make it make sense, Bill Polian. He tried. He tried. And then Lamar goes out there and starts to cook, and he's confirming another MVP. I was going to go into a deep dive, but I, maybe I'll save that for the live stream this week. Um, but, yeah, I, I can't wait for these games. The, the, Bills, the Bills took that L. Josh Allen is not even Cam Newton. Um, the Chiefs move on. If Mahomes can get this off and beat Baltimore – and get to another Super Bowl and potentially win another Super Bowl. I, I know a lot of folks are high on Joe Montana. I know a lot of folks are high on John Elway, Peyton Manning, uh, old, 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 old heads, Johnny Unitas and all that shit. If Mahomes gets another one, I don't want to hear shit about nobody else. If Patrick Mahomes gets another Super Bowl, I don't want to hear nothing about no Peyton Manning. I don't want to hear nothing about no John Elway. I don't want to hear nothing about no Joe Montana, Johnny Unitas, Y.A. Tittle, whoever the fuck, Sonny Jurgis. I don't want to hear about none of these cats. If Patrick Mahomes gets another one, the conversation's done already. You're looking at Jordan. Davos Swinney tried to say a few years ago when, when Nasty Man was coming out that he was going to be the Michael Jordan of the NFL. He was wrong. Patrick Mahomes, if he gets this off, I think you could say even if he gets to the Super Bowl, it's enough. But if he wins another Super Bowl, he's the Michael Jordan of the NFL. He's that guy. The case is already closed. I don't want to hear nothing about nobody else. I live through Montana. I live through Elway. I'm telling you the conversation's over. I live through Marino, Jim Kelly, Aikman. I lived through them all. Both Mannings. If he even gets to the Super Bowl, the conversation would get louder. If he wins the Super Bowl, the conversation's closed. So the group chat has been buzzing because there was a blockbuster trade, or at least that's what I was told, that it was a blockbuster trade. And I really hit the Elon app hard. I started texted some people that I know, like in the industry, like, hey, what's this trade I keep hearing about? And everyone kept telling me, nah, it happened. I'm like, wait, what trade? They're like, the Siakam trade. I'm like, wait, that's the trade y'all calling a blockbuster? Like the Pascal Siakam trade? Pascal Siakam? 
going to the Pacers. That's the blockbuster trade. But yes, that is what happened. Like the blockbuster trade. And, you know, you're talking about Indiana sending two, two, two 2024 first rounders, uh, a 2026 first rounder to the Raptors in exchange that will send, you know, Bruce Brown, Jordan Nora, and uh, that included uh, Bruce Brown and Jordan Nora. And it's kind of weird because it was a third team and New Orleans was involved and they sent Kira Lewis to the, um, to, to the Raptors as well. I don't know what New Orleans got in that. Uh, they sent a second round pick to the Pacers. They, they just wanted to get rid of Kira Lewis, it appears. Another wasted first round pick for your boys, David Griffin. Um, but this trade, there was a lot of memes, um, you know, is this now a big three when you're talking about Miles Turner? Uh, you're talking about Tyrese Halliburton and now Siakam. And I'm like, we need to set some ground rules here in terms of what's a big three and what is not a big three. What is not a big three is three good players on a team. That is not a big three. So we kind of need to get off this whole notion of if you got three good players, that's your big three. Big three is Braun, Wade, Bosch. Those are three Hall of Famers, okay? Three bona fide first ballot, without a doubt, Hall of Fame. He's talking about, to some people, the greatest player of all time. To most people, the second or third greatest shooting guard of all time. And you're talking about a, a top tier power forward of his era. That's a big three. Not a Siakam, Miles Turner, and Halliburton. Now, y'all know how I love Halliburton. And it's verified how much I was on Halliburton pause and was telling any team worth a damn that needed a point guard, go get you Tyrese Halliburton. Okay, that, that is verified and stamped on digital print how much I was ahead of the game and ahead of the curve than all these so-called experts that watch ball. Now, he can be a part of a big three. I think he's that good. But Miles Turner... Come on, bro. Come on, bro. What are we talking about? What are we talking about? And a Siakam? Like, Messiah Jerry, salute to him. You know what I'm saying? Home team, gang, gang. And, you know, he's out here crying at the press conference or getting emotional at the press conference and all that. But, bro, he wanted to get rid of Pascal Siakam because Siakam was not going to stay. He would have re-upped, but Messiah Jerry wasn't trying to pay Pascal Siakam. And why wasn't he trying to pay Pascal Siakam? Because he knows the best days of Pascal Siakam are behind him. And now the Pacers are out here doing a rental. And maybe they re-sign Pascal Siakam. Maybe they don't. But they're trying to act like they can win now. And my question is, when what? Okay, when what? Like when we're talking about the Pacers here, and they're seventh in the East. Seventh in the East. What are they trying to win? Does the trade for Pascal Siakam put them in the conversation with the top four teams in the East, which is right now Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, and Cleveland? And five and six are Knicks tape and the Heat. Does the big three, this alleged big three of Siakam, Halliburton, and Miles Turner is that even beating the Heat in a seven-game series? 
is that even beating Knicks tape in a seven-game series? I'm not even trying to have the Boston-Milwaukee conversation. In a seven-game series with Halliburton and Siakam, but we know, yes, the Pacers got to the finals of the IST, the in-season tournament, and yada, yada, yada. That was cool. But we're talking playoffs now. We're talking championship now. We're talking Eastern Conference Finals now. We're talking long runs into June. Pascal Siakam does not move the needle for any team trying to make a run in June. Not when he makes up your big three. You could argue he didn't make up the big three when the Raptors won the chip. You could make that argument. We could talk about Van Vliet. Kawhi and Lowry. Now, cooler heads can prevail. And yes, Siakam was probably the second or third best player on that team. But again, you could make an argument. And if I could make the argument, then are you really that dude? Are you really that dude? So let's see how they've done so far. Right. Let's see how they have done so far. Let's go to the Pacers. Uh, they took an L to Phoenix the other night. Let's see. Siakam should be playing by now. I think he's played a couple games with them already. Yeah, he's, he played the other night against uh, the Suns. They took an L. They're on a road trip right now. No Halliburton, it appears. I did not watch this game. I'll be fully transparent. I did watch the first game with Siakam where Halliburton did play. Um... Let's see, no Halliburton, and he still hung tough, but here's the stat line for Siakam, okay? So, again, no Halliburton. So, you figure Siakam's probably the one or he's probably the first or second option if Halliburton's not playing. Miles Turner did play. 14 shots for Pascal Siakam, okay? So, that's who you're getting. That's the one y'all want to put in the big three. That's the one y'all are asking me about a blockbuster trade. That dude. Okay, make it make sense because 15, 7, and 4 on 14 shots against Phoenix, what's that supposed to do? Okay, he was a minus 9 for all you plus 9 people. He was a minus 9. Do I even want to go to the shot chart? I'm, I'm, I won't even bother. But I will talk about the game he did play with Halliburton because that game I did watch. And that was, let me see, yeah, that, yeah, that was against Portland. So, this game, you got a little bit more of what you would expect in terms of stat output from Pascal Siakam. You got 21, 6, and 6, but still 14 shots. And that's with Halliburton playing. That is with Halliburton playing, and Halliburton had 17 dimes that night. 21 and 17. Halliburton only took 14 shots that night, but he took seven threes, okay? So th there's the balance. There's the balance for Halliburton. I don't think people understand the high level of point guard play that Tyrese Halliburton is exhibiting right now. I don't think people understand. Now, again, it's against Portland. Portland is not a good team, which is by design. They're, they're designed to be scoring in bunches. And that, 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 that's all Portland can do at this point. Jeremy Grant had 37. Malcolm Brogdon had a 30-piece. Uh, DeAndre Ayton even had 12. Like, it's, it's, it's not about that, okay? Anthony Simons didn't even play. 
Scoot was off the bench. Like, there's a lot going on in Portland right now. I think what Portland is doing real quick, a quick aside on Portland, what Portland is doing right now is they're trying to let their vets get off so they can flip them. Okay, so Malcolm Brogdon clearly is going to get flipped, I think, by, by the trade deadline, which is coming up very stealthily. In a few weeks, we're going to get in that trade deadline as we head into All-Star weekend. But Malcolm Brogdon will definitely not be a Portland Trailblazer soon. And low-key, you have to look at Jeremy Grant as well because that contract is nuts. But you might be able to convince a contender to take on that contract. But if you're really trying to destroy and rebuild, which Portland has clearly done by getting Dame up out of there, by taking on the contract of Malcolm Brogdon, knowing that knowing that they could flip it, and rebuilding with Scoot and uh, Sh- Sh- um, Shaden Sharp and Anthony Simons, like I think they know, like it's time to destroy and rebuild. Jeremy Grant cannot and should not be a part of that destroying and rebuilding, especially with the contract they gave him. What was that? What was the final numbers on that deal? Let me look that up real quick. Uh, where's that bread at? He's getting 30. Yeah, what's that deal? He's getting 27.5 this year. 29.8 next year. 32, 34, 36 million after that. So, like, yeah. He's getting a crazy contract. I could have swore he got a ridiculous bag. I don't think that's the official number. Hold on. Let me look this up. Real time with y'all on the pod. Jeremy Grant contract. Five years, $160 million. That was the deal. That was the deal. Yeah, five years, $160 million for your man's Jeremy Grant. So, yeah, if I'm Portland, I'm trying to find somebody to take that contract. If I could find somebody to take that contract, I did now now the destroy and rebuild can can like suffice because you can deal with the eight contract. The eight contract is not that bad. But that Jeremy contract, five years, 160? Nah. Nah, couldn't be me. Couldn't be me. So... Siakam and the Pacers are not a big deal, but allegedly there's another big deal that's coming. I can't speak too much on it because it's purely speculative. It is absolutely speculative. There's some wild names involved, but it's been floating around a few group chats. And I'm just like, I'm not going to put that out there, man. Like if, if, if it does eventually happen, Y'all will know because I'm telling y'all right now, like there's some wild, wild names being thrown about. And I don't know if it's just, you know, people playing around on the trade machine on ESPN, the full of the network. But um, yeah, look, we know the Lakers going to make a trade. Right? We know the Lakers are going to make a deal like D'Lo or Austin Reeves or maybe even both are not long for the Lake show. I think one, if not both, will be gone. I think you could look at Brogdon as a potential option there. I would not be surprised if, if you know, your man's Palenka tries to go get Malcolm Brogdon. At least he should. He should be trying to get Malcolm Brogdon because he takes care of a lot of needs. He's still good defensively. He's not elite like he used to be. He's still good defensively. He's a point guard. He has some facilitating in him. But again, y'all told me Bron the point guard, so I don't know. I don't know who the point guard in L.A. is, but... 
He could play that position. He could score. Uh, I wouldn't depend on him for shooting. So, again, are you trying to surround Braun with shooters? Are you trying to go with the old school adage of just put Braun and four shooters on the court and you're, you're good money? I don't know if the Lake Show are trying to do that. But, again, we don't know what they're trying to do because they still, unfortunately, have uh, Darvin Ham as the coach. I don't know what he needs to do to get fired. I mean, he just walks around. He just he, he just stands there with his hands in his pockets just watching this team be mid. A team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis should never be mid. Only five players are allowed on the court at a time per side. And every night you should have two of the best five. Two of the best five. Or at least, you know, of the, the yeah, you should have two of the best five. Like, there's no excuse. There's no excuse to be losing to teams that aren't on your level. Rui Hachimura, there was a tweet floating around of him looking sad. Like, you know, he was all excited making the L.A. sign when he first signed up there. He was making the L.A. sign. And then now they got him making the L.A. sign, but he's all crestfallen and shit like that. It's just not a, yeah, it's just not, not a good scene. Darvin Ham has uh, sapped the soul out of that man. Pause. Uh, it's, just not, it's just not good. It's not a good vibe. Darvin Ham needs to go. I was a proponent of Darvin Ham because he talked that talk. I believed the talk, and there were people in and around the league that were, you know, also praising the hiring of Darvin Ham. Like, yeah, he's, he's, he's a guy that knows what he's talking about. And just imagine, they could have had Ty Lue. They could have had Ty Lue as the coach of the Lakers. But they didn't want to give him a fifth year. They didn't want to give Ty Lue a fifth year. That set a whole chain domino effect. They didn't want to give Ty Lue a fifth year. They only offered him four years. You know who took that fourth year? Your man's Frank Vogel. Your man's Frank Vogel said, I'll take four years. And then he got that, that chip in the bubble. Ty Lue could have had that chip in the bubble. That's all I'm saying. But the Lakers were also being cheap. Because, again, the Lakers are not flush with cash despite being one of the most popular franchises in the world. They're not flush with cash like you would think. It's a family business. This is this, this the equivalent of a mom and pop spot. They're like a bodega. The Lakers are run like a bodega. And quietly, if, if we're going to keep talking about the Western Conference, keep talking about teams in California, are we going to talk about these Clippers or not? They have quasi-figured it out. Rusty off the bench, the beard at the one. You're getting good production from Pandemic P, Podcast P. And then you got bored, man, doing what he always does. And he's doing it at a 55-game clip. Like he's doing it, you know, to he's probably going to play another 50-piece. Another 50-60-piece. Boardman is out here in 37 games. How many games have they played overall? Uh, they've played 41 games. He's only missed four games. Hold up. Let's give it up for the board man. He's only missed four games this year. Kawhi Leonard has only missed four games this year. That is amazing. At that rate, he might play. Can Kawhi play 70 games? Oh, shit. If Kawhi plays 70 games, I know he got that extension, that contract extension, but goddamn. Kawhi going to play 70 games. If Kawhi plays 70 games, let me see. The Clippers are the four seed right now. 
Kawhi plays 70 games, they could be a top two seed. Because right now, the Timberwolves are the number one seed in the West. You heard that right. The Minnesota Timberwolves are the number one seed in the Western Conference. And this, this isn't like the Utah fluke of last year. Like the Jazz were out there and shout out to the uh, over there in Utah. But this isn't that. Like this is a, a legit team and they're playing really good basketball. Now, it remains to be seen if they make a move at the deadline. They certainly have some options they can make at the deadline. Like at some point, the cat thing has to resolve itself, right? At some point, the cat thing has to resolve itself. But right now, Cat is playing at a, at a respectable level, and he's still the best shooting big man in the league, if you let him tell it, or big man in history, excuse me. The best shooting big man in history, if you let him tell it. 43% from three. He's taking five threes a night. He's giving you 22, nine, and three. But this is really all about Ant-Man. Ant-Man has taken that franchise. It is his franchise. That's his team. And somebody on this podcast, i.e. me, was asking for that two seasons ago. I said, when they drafted him, I said, okay, it's his team now. And everyone was like, nah, it's too soon. I'm like, no, no, no. You haven't watched Ant-Man. That's his team now. I'm like, nah, he's too young. He's got to earn it. Cat. I'm like, all right, y'all see. And now people are seeing uh, Rudy Gobert, Stifle Tower, fresh off getting a sleeper hole put on him by the habitual nut hitter. Um, he's still mid as fuck, but he's playing okay. Like, he's playing okay. I think the key to that team has been, uh, outside of Ant-Man, of course, is probably Mike Conley. If Mike Conley can stay healthy, which is always a big if, he's that steadying force. He knows how to get people involved. He's one of the few last true point guards that are left in the league. Like, he's not about scoring. He's not out here trying to be a bucket, although he can be if he has to. But his whole thing is move the ball around, orchestrate the offense, set up the guys that need to get buckets like Ant-Man and Carl Anthony Towns. So uh, Mike Conley, that that team goes as Mike Conley goes. And I know that's weird because Ant-Man has ascended, but it truly is that team goes as uh, Mike Conley goes. If you want to get into OKC, I mean, I think there's time for that. I think they're closer to doing the whole jazz thing, the jazz thing from last year. I think that's where I'm leaning with that. I'm not saying they're a fluke. Yeah, I know I've been, I'm Chet Hive all day. But in regards to being a two seed in the West and making noise, like, I don't know about all that. Honestly, I don't know about all that. SGA is a problem. Like, Shea's a problem. I mean, he's always been a problem, but, you know, dropping a 30 piece, he's got a lot of beard in him. He's got a lot of beard. He's like the evolution of the beard. If we really want, if we, if we really want to talk about, because people always talk about comparisons. Who does this player remind you of? Who's this, who, who does this player's game, you know, remind you of or is re reminiscent of? And for me, when I see SGA, and let me see. Let me go to his shot chart. Let me just go to his shot chart to see if I can confirm what I think I'm seeing. Where's his shot chart? Uh, shot finder. Oh, no, I got to go to an actual game, right? All right, let's go to the last game. Game log. All right. Uh, pull that up. All right, so they played a couple of nights ago against the Timberwolves, right? Let's pull up SGA. Shot chart. Cool. 
All right, so, and I guess I'll pull up the screen for this. Give me a sec. Okay. <clears throat> so for those on YouTube, you'll be able to check that out. Okay, see Thunder. Let me zoom out just a bit. All right, cool. That should be good enough. Yeah. SGA. Yes. Okay. So th th this does confirm what I was thinking. All right. So now SGA put up uh, how many points in this game? 30 what? He put up 33 and six, right? On 22 shots. Got to the free throw line 13 times, right? And I want y'all to remember that part of he got to the line 13 times. So SGA, if you look at his shot chart here, Everything is middies. Everything is middies. Now, he reminds me a lot of Harden, but it's the evolution of Harden where everything with Harden was threes, layups, free throws. Like him, the whole Dan Tony and the Warriors thing kind of morphed into everyone just focusing on threes, layups, free throws. When I see SGA, he's definitely doing the layups. And he's definitely doing the fee throws, but he's not doing the threes, but he's going with the midi. So it's kind of like, give me the DeRozan midi package, but with the beard ability to get layups and draw fee throws and get fee throws, right? That's what I see with SGA. He's not really doing it, predicating himself on the three ball, which has been all the rage over the last damn near a decade it's threes and bunches everyone in their mama got to learn to shoot three because of the way Steph and clay shot the three but with sga his game is so below the three-point line but it's so efficient it's so effective and that's why i think to me it's similar to the beard at his apex when the beard was at houston whether it was the rip move to get free throws or draw to the line and you know, throw up crazy layup attempts to get fouled and, and get hacked or whatever. He just had this innate ability to get fouls and get to the line if he wasn't just jacking up threes. SGA has eliminated the, the, the ineffectiveness of just jacking up threes wildly and saying, all right, because of my speed and, and the size and my height, I could get past most guards. And then I'm I'm not I'm not afraid to go up against wings and bigs. So I can get past the guards, get into the paint, or at least get into the elbow area, and then I can do work. Now, whether that work is getting the midi off, like how you see here, is a bunch of middies. Let's let's count the middies. One, I'll call that. He's probably thought that was gonna be a three. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. 12 shots around the elbow in the midi range. Everything else was at the cup. And he took, what, 20 some shots? 20, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. 20 shots. So 12 of his 20 shots were all middies. Middies, elbow, elbow out. Okay? Everything else was down low. Everything else was getting to the rim and finishing at the rim. That's what SGA is. If you haven't watched SGA outside of just clips online, that's what his game has been. It doesn't mean he can't shoot threes. <clears throat> Excuse. It doesn't mean he can't shoot threes. It doesn't mean that he's not proficient or can be proficient from three or get hot. But 
he's attacking. He's attacking. He's applying pressure to get his points. That 31 a night, it's not him just just like just sitting in the corner waiting for threes or just being ISO ball. Like it's not even ISO heavy when it's SGA. Okay, so I think that's something to monitor there. And as you see here on his game log, he's not even doing this with a crazy amount of shots. Because again, it's free throws. Look at this, 13 free throws, 17 free throws, 12 free throws. Okay, like if we go through the game log of SGA and just look at free throw attempts. Let's see. <clears throat> there's 15, there's 12, 10, 15, 11, 10, 10, 14, 18, 11, 18, 13. Like he's getting to the free throw line at an enormous clip. And that's some beard shit. Man, you're getting fouled like that. And it's not the flopping shit that, that the beard became infamous for. Like it's legitimately attacking the rim, doing hezzies, doing up fakes and like stepping through and drawing the contact. Like he's doing a lot of the little things that have been a forgotten art. And that's why I put him like Luca does a lot of that too, but got no Luca is Slovenian hearted. So it's, it's too, he's, he's a carbon copy of the beard. SGA has taken the layup and the free throw prowess of peak beard, but thrown in that, like that, that DeRozan midi. So SGA is out here heavy. Um, but does that mean OKC is going to remain the two seed? I, I, I don't think so. But even if they do, I don't really see that much noise. I don't see them making that much noise in the playoffs. I think it got Denver. Denver and the Celtics was a great game the other night. Had the privilege to be in the control room for that on the full of the network. Um, it was a phenomenal game. A lot of action. And Jamal Murray, I know I've gotten into some debates about, you know, who's a point guard, what's a point guard. And I think I'm going to do a video, long form video on just that topic of what is a point guard. Uh, but y'all can't tell me Jamal Murray is not a point. Y'all can't tell me. I refuse. I refuse to have y'all keep telling me Jamal Murray is not a point guard. If you're not watching the games and watching how he orchestrates the offense, you can't tell me Jamal Murray is not a point guard. Over his last five games, these are the assist numbers for Jamal Murray. Nine dimes, eight dimes, ten dimes. He only had five against the Celtics and then seven dimes the next night against the, the Wizards. Stop telling me Jamal Murray is not a point guard. If you just don't watch basketball or you only care about certain types of players, then just say that. Just say that. Because you're not watching basketball and you're not watching the intricacy of basketball either. You're just watching the game to watch the game. But if you don't know what you're watching, then just say that. Because Jamal Murray is a point guard. Is he your prototypical traditional point guard? No. But I defy you to name three in this league right now. I just talked about Mike Conley. It might be the last one. Even Halliburton. Halliburton to a degree. He's putting up all the dimes in the world. But is he a traditional point guard? Hell no. Hell no. But he's a point guard. You can't drop 17 assists and not be a point guard. You can't. That shows an ability to care what other, like, okay, Russi, you can debate his point guard worthiness because we know he used to hunt for them triple doubles, right? So he would make sure to get other guys, he would get cheap assists. Like he would hunt easy assists to run his numbers up. Like that's, that's, that's documented if you watch the games back then, right? But Halliburton's not doing that. 
Like Halliburton is getting 17 dimes because he's legitimately finding open people. Like it's not easy. It's not pick and pop alley-oops or rim runs or whatever. Like it's actually finding dudes open in precarious positions and feeding them. That's what Halliburton is doing. So we, we're going to have that conversation. I'm, I'm, that is one video that I have up on my whiteboard that I'm like, I'm doing this video because I'm tired of hearing people claim what they think they know as a point guard. I'm like, I don't know how you're watching a game of basketball and you watch Jamal Murray drop dimes, nine dimes, eight dimes, ten dimes, and telling me he's not a point guard. Meanwhile, you're bringing up dudes that are just shoot first, pass later dudes and claiming they're point guards. Like, stop it. Stop it. Watch more basketball. Do you know who Anthony Rendon is? You probably don't. Most of you who are uh, listeners to this podcast probably don't know who Anthony Rendon is. So he is a baseball player. He plays for the, uh, are they still the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim? I don't think they are. The Anaheim Angels, I don't know what they are. Anyway, he's a baseball player. He makes buku bread, right? Uh, as you see here on the screen, this is the quote that he had. We got to shorten the season, man. It's too many dang games. We got to shorten this bad boy up. Major League Baseball plays 162 games every single year. 162 is by far the most. Basketball's 82, NHL's 82, NFL is now 17, soon to be 18, right? Major League Baseball, 162 games. So at the beginning of this pod, I said there's somebody out here on that Kawhi wave that's trying to board man, load manage up in Major League Baseball. I am now introducing you to the board man of Major League Baseball and Anthony Rendon because over the last four years, he has played 200 Major League Baseball games. You heard me right. 200 games over four years. We do that math, that's 50 games a year. Major League Baseball, they play 162. So you got to understand that he's trying to load manage and Kawhi his way into Major League Baseball. He's trying to bring the load managing into Major League Baseball. And now he wants to even shorten the season even more. So this is where we're at with Anthony Rendon. And I think this is hilarious because Major League Baseball has the strongest union in all sports. Strongest union in all sports, right? And now, if they're able to get this off, now, I don't think that there's a, there's a chance in hell that they get this off. But if they do, because look at the games here. This is out of, out of 162 games. Remember the contract that he signed. Well, where's the contract numbers that he signed? Let me, let me look that up real quick. The Anthony Rendon contract. We did the Jeremy Grant contract. Now, let's do the Anthony Rendon contract. All right, Anthony Rendon. Seven years, $245 million, okay? So he signed four years ago. Where we at here? Four years ago, a seven-year, $245 million contract, and Mans is out here. Mans is out here. 52 games the first year of the contract, 58 games the next year, 47 the next, 43. It is going down. He's trying to get the 40 games. 40 games. The Kawhi Leonard at Major League Baseball, Anthony Rendon, he is trying to really get himself out here in a major way and bring load managing to Major League Baseball, all while clamoring to shorten the season even more. 
if they get it down to 150, 140, what's going to play? 20 games? Like, what is Anthony Rendon going to play? Seven years, $245 million, and he's only played 200 games in four years. Get You got people mad, nasty, man, got the contract that he got. You got people mad that the Stifle Tower, Rudy Gobert, got the money that he got. Major League Baseball. That, that, that's when you know you got a good union. And it's all guaranteed, by the way, in case you didn't know, that little nugget. $245 million is all guaranteed like nasty man contract. Because all baseball players got fully guaranteed, fully guaranteed contract. Somebody tell Brandon Marshall that so you could go bust another vein in his forehead. Pause. So, just wanted to touch on that. Uh, what else we got here? Oh, your man's prime. Coach Prime. He's been struggling with the Louis luggage, right? He promised all this Louis luggage. He promised these five-star, four- and five-star blue chippers. Then he learned the hard way that you need to have some offensive line, some defensive linemen. Now he's hitting that portal, and he's trying to sign some dudes in the portal because that's a proven way to fix the trenches, right? There's so many teams that have done that well. But Prime's <laughs> going to be the first, right? Anywho. It's gotten so bad for Coach Prime that he had to go get a commitment from the son of a former WWE star. I'm not talking about The Rock's kid because The Rock actually played football at the U or anything like that. No, Bill Goldberg. He is getting a commitment from the son of Bill Goldberg. The kid is apparently six foot, 215 pound linebacker. Okay. He was supposed to go to Bama, but he flipped on Bama after Saban announced his retirement. And now he's going to go pull up for Coach Prime. Now, when I say he was going to Alabama, you might think, oh, that, that must mean he's nice, right? No, 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 no. He was going to be an Alabama walk-on, okay? Even the walk-ons are hitting the transfer portal now that Saban is leaving Alabama, okay? So it's gotten that bad for your man, was it Kelly DeBoer? out there leaving UW and going straight over there to Bama, even though walk-ons are saying, I'm good love, enjoy, and hitting that portal. And here's your man, Coach Prime, getting another another piece of that Louis luggage, a walk-on from Alabama. Can't make this shit up, man. Can't make this shit up. All right, and I know we talked about um, football early in the pod, but I do want to touch on Gerard Mayo. So Gerard Mayo was introduced and he set the timeline ablaze with his introductory press conference on two measures. One in Bob Crabb stumbling, fumbling, bumbling, trying to pronounce a black name. And then two in answering the whole question of, do you see color? And he could have took the usual trope of, I see human beings, I don't see color, all that type of rhetoric he decided to get into his bag. So let's first hear him correct the Air Force One wearing, hanging out with Hove and Meek Mill, thinking he's part of the diaspora, uh, even though he's out there getting rug and tugged at the same place that Trump was getting them, allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, but let's listen to Bob Kraft stumble, fumble, and bumble his name through a black name, and Gerard Mayo try to make it better and try to make it uh, try to make something funny out of it because this is his boss and he's he's trying to keep them checks coming in. He's trying to keep them checks coming in. So uh, we'll get into that right here. All right. Sherman. 
Shema. <laughs> Shema. I'll get it right. I'll get it right. Get it right. Well, we'll have to. No, it's all right. It's one of those black names. I'll help you with that. <laughs> well, Stacy told me he was exactly. an expert. Exactly. See, he, he, yeah. she, she had to fumble. He fumbled on the name. And then he had to clean it up with an easier name, Stacy. That name he could pronounce. That name he could pronounce. I wonder if he still can pronounce the names of the ones that were at that rug and tug. That rug and tug. I wonder if he can still pronounce those names. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, he stumbled and fumbled with that name. But then Gerard was asked the question that seemingly every black coach is asked about. What does it mean about the impact of you being a black head coach and a black head coach in New England, which we know has been a thing. So let me go ahead and play that for you. I do see color because I believe if you don't see color, you can't see racism. And whatever, whatever happens, black, white, disabled person, I've always, even someone with disabilities, I always, uh, you know, for the most part, people are like, you know, don't, you know, when they're young, they, they kind of make the spot hot. Younger people know what that means. But what I would say is, like, no, I want you to be able to go up to those people and really understand those people. So it goes back to whatever it is, black, white, yellow, it really doesn't matter, but it does matter. So. Okay, so right there, he, he, he was about to go into that trope of, I don't see color rhetoric, but then he cleaned it back up with the whole thing of I do see color. We can try to fix a problem that we all know we have. So it really doesn't matter, but it does matter. So it we does can try matter. to fix a right. problem that we all know we have. I, I only wish I he would have finished the flourish with uh, Black Lives Matter than all oh, man. Because the, the, again, just off of this, like it was pretty benign to be quite honest with you. But just the fact that he said this publicly, that th this is how tame the, the, the media atmosphere is. The fact that he said this got rounds of applause, rounds of applause. And people were championing this clip and this video. And he pretty much is saying the, I'm not saying it's the easy thing, but it's, it's, it's the most logical thing. Like I do see color. We all see color. Whether you want to admit it or not, we all see color. Because I believe if you don't see color, you can't see racism. Yeah, because if you try to pull the whole thing of I don't see black, I don't see white, then yeah, then how can you see someone claiming that, well, I'm being, I'm, someone is being a bigot towards me. If you can't decipher that I am a black person, and you are a non-melanated person, how can I, how can you see, you know, anything when I'm telling you someone is being racist against me because of the way that I look or the color of my skin? So yes, again, not groundbreaking, not earth shattering, not MLK, you know, March on Washington level, but yes, very poignant. And whatever, whatever happens, black, white, disabled person, I've always, even someone with disabilities, I always, uh, Got to bring in the 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 disability piece for the DEI purposes. So again, he's 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 checking all the boxes. It was a good, it was a great press conference for someone, you know, following Bill Belichick. Everything that goes along with that, and the narratives that go along with that, and the shoes you are assumed you have to fill. There's a lot that goes with that, right? So as a player, he's he's a, he's a champion. He's a guy that has some some accolades in this league. So he'll go in there in the same way that Mike Vrabel did in the same way that D'Amico Ryans has, or even people like Todd Bowles. Like there's been a lot of former players that have been able to transition into the league and become coaches, whether assistant coaches or head coaches and have been successful. Now the thing with new England is twofold. The cupboard is bare, right? And you got to deal with an owner that is a high profile owner and expects success. 
and you're coming off the heels of following Bill Belichick, who won six Super Bowls there. So there's a lot that Gerard Mayo has to now figure out. This isn't D'Amico Ryan's where the Houston Texans have no history. They have no legacy. D'Amico Ryan's walked into a, to, to, to a situation where him doing anything successful would be earth-shattering. And everyone understood that this is an actual rebuild where you're tearing everything down to the studs and you're rebuilding this house. The Patriots, I feel, are not going to do that with Gerard Mayo. I don't think they're going to tear this whole thing down. There's certainly going to be some roster upheaval. There is every year in the NFL when you have a 53-man roster. But in regards to tearing it all down to the studs and rebuilding, I don't see that here with the Patriots. And I think that's because Bob Kraft still expects a winner. And this fan base has become spoiled by winning. So there's going to be an expectation. How much grace do you think the Patriots fan base is going to give Gerard Mayo? He can say all the right things at the press conference. Winning the press conference is, is one piece. Now it's coaching these guys up. D'Amico Ryan's he won the press conference too. And then he was able to actually go get the horses to go out there and win some games. And it wasn't a lot of roster upheaval in Houston, by the way. Shout out to Lovey Smith. But in regards to this Patriots team, there has to be a lot of roster teardown. And I don't know if, if Bob Kraft has the balls or has the patience to let Gerard Mayo and, and a seemingly new staff come in and tear this thing down to the studs. There's a lot of franchises that need to tear it down to the studs. There's high-profile franchises that need to tear it down to the studs. But because of who their owners are, they cannot do that. They will not allow themselves to do that. Take Dallas, for example. If Dallas were to tear it down to the studs and do a real rebuild, an actual rebuild, not a rebuild or a retool on the fly, an actual rebuild where you have to get rid of everybody from top to bottom and start anew, you're talking about at minimum a three-year rebuild. Newsflash, Jerry Jones ain't waiting three years. Jerry Jones would rather... Stay right where they are right now, where I can fool my fans into thinking we have a chance every year. I could pay the people that are necessary to keep that belief alive. Even though I know deep down, I ain't sniffing another Lombardi ever. But to keep my franchise valued at $9 billion, I need to keep my fans engaged. I need to keep my fans to keep buying merch season ticket passes, stadium passes, stadium tours, et cetera, et cetera. What the Clippers are doing in basketball in terms of separating themselves and having their own TV deal and their own TV package, can you imagine if the Cowboys got that off? Can you imagine if Jerry decided put it all behind a paywall? Y'all think Patreon is lit. Wait till you see the Cowboy Patreon. Ain't going to be no $5 a month. Ain't going to be no $20, $30 a month. It's going to be three to four figures. If the Clipper thing works, and that's why I had a short form video, probably going to put it out, uh, about the Clippers and why they chose to extend Kawhi at the timing that they did. I still might put it out. But 
the fact of the matter is, is that the Clippers are are slowly building their own ecosystem separate from the NBA and its broadcast rights. They're building second screen experiences in this new Inglewood arena. Y'all saw the, the viral shit. They, they're building a wall of fans of stadium seats that are similar to the wall in Game of Thrones. And they want their fans like you can't buy tickets there unless you're a proven fan. And it's only going to be like 5,000 seats or, or, or something to that effect. Like the, the Clipper thing deserves a deep dive. I'm probably going to do that as like a standalone video on YouTube. But the Clipper, the Clipper business model, Ballmer is not for play play. Steve Ballmer is not for play play. Watch how he's moving. Everything now about content is privatizing content and monetizing content outside of traditional means. That's what Steve Ballmer is doing with the Clippers. If he's successful, you watch how the Jerry Joneses of the world run and copy and paste. You know what it is. I appreciate y'all for listening. Long pod today. Try to give y'all all the thoughts that I've had over the last week or so. Didn't give y'all a pod last week. A lot of things going on at work, long late night schedules and whatnot. So it kind of threw off my schedule, but you back at it. Starting the week off strong with a pod. Probably going to try to give y'all some more content on the YouTube side. So again, if you haven't tapped in, hit that YouTube subscribe link in the podcast description. Or if you're already here on YouTube, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and the like button and all the youtube things that make stuff go. Uh, but yes content for your head top short form long form podcast form we're back in a good groove we got the settings the settings set up here we got the lights and all that good stuff here we feel good about the visuals so we're gonna go ahead and push this content out the way that i know i can in the way that y'all have become accustomed to and hopefully y'all grow with me as i keep putting different content out different types of content y'all grow with me so I appreciate y'all uh, hitting me up, whether it's on the side or whether it's publicly supporting the pod. I always appreciate supporting the content. Uh, we're building something, I think, different and unique here. And uh, I appreciate every person who taps in. So uh, for the Sam D, I'm Sam Dismay Jr. This is the Sam D Podcast. I'll holla at y'all.